Hello you awesome beings, welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. This podcast is a love letter to my younger self of all the things I wish I'd known before I had deep issues with my mental health and my spiritual awakening. I hope you enjoy listening. Why not head to my website and purchase the new Live From Lockdown, seven guided meditations and gong meditations for your listening pleasure. Use the code TIWIK15, T-I-W-I-K 15, to get 15% off now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel. I am the founder of Wellford Wellbeing and the host of this and also Isolation Station. Now, I'm really excited to be talking to my guest today, Madeleine Black. But just before we get into it, I'd like to give a trigger warning. Today, we are going to be talking about the subjects of sexual abuse, rape and violence. So if you are going to find that triggering in any way, please use listener discretion. I don't want it to be causing any harm to anybody. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Madeline. She is a public speaker and the author of Unbroken, a story of survival and hope. Unfortunately, when she was 13, she was violently gang raped and raped three more times by the age of 18. So I think it's safe to say that Madeleine has experienced more trauma than most will in their lifetime. She's now working as a public speaker, sharing her story of hope and survival. She also is a great patron and supporter of Say Women, which is a charity in Glasgow that supports young women from 16 to 25, people that have experienced sexual abuse and are facing homelessness. Thank you so much for joining today, Madeleine. It's great to meet you. You're welcome. It's lovely to be here, Rachel. Thank you. So I guess, you know, I don't even know where to start with this. It's just so much trauma. I guess just letting people know, like, how did you begin to unpick what had happened and move forward? Well, I have to say, you know, the place I'm at now, I didn't get here overnight. You know, it has been a process. And this is now, I'll be 55 this year. So it's well over 40 years ago now that it happened to me. But it was really, I think, I started my healing journey when I reversed my decision not to become a mum. And I had my first of three daughters, which really, really changed everything for me. And it was really having my children that I saw that I wasn't as healed as I thought I was. It was still a long way to go. But, you know, I think we're very good at putting a mask on and pretending that we're okay a lot of the time and just getting on with life. But you get reminders or you get things that I couldn't ignore anymore when I realised, you know, I I have to work this more. So how did you, I guess, how did you get from, you know, extreme amounts of trauma and I guess what effect that had on that period of your life before you had your, your girls and then getting strong enough and feeling confident enough, because most people can't even verbalise what's happened, you know, in these kind of extreme cases, let alone go out in public and be interviewed on, you know, television and radio and actually write a book about it. So I guess what was your process from, you know, the trauma happening and then, you know, what? how did that affect your life? And then what kind of steps did you start to take when you realised there were things that you could do to empower yeah, the, yourself? The trauma obviously impacted on me in so many ways. You know, as a teenager, I had anorexia. I used drugs and alcohol, anything to numb out, to forget. I was hospitalised in a psychiatric ward when I was 13 because I attempted suicide. I took an overdose. I had depression. And so when I was about... 
16, just before my 70th birthday, went to Israel for a year and I met my husband now, who, gosh, that's about 36, 37 years ago, quite a long time ago. And we, it was really through his love that I started to see that my opinion of myself, which was so low, I had no self-confidence, no self-belief, no self-worth. But really with his love, I started to see that I was lovable, that this man could love me and I could slowly give love back and learn to like myself and love myself too. And as I said at the start, when I first met Stephen, he asked me to marry him. I told him I would never become a mum because I just thought giving birth was going to be like being raped again. And I just had so many fears, so many phobias, not just all these side effects I spoke about, but everything scared me. Fear was my best friend for years. But we were away. We had just been married. We were in Thailand on a beach. I remember it. It was beautiful nice. on an island called Koh Phi Phi. And he turned to me. We'd been married a couple of years. And he said, you know, how about starting a family? And I was just ready to say, look, you know why I can't do that. But in that moment, something came in. And I just thought, if I don't do it, they've won. I'm handing all my power and control over to these two men who probably have no idea that I'm doing that. And I didn't want them to control my life anymore. I wanted to live my life as best as I could and become a mum. So that started me on my journey of therapy. It took about two years. And then Anna, my eldest daughter, was born and Mimi and Layla came along. And that, that really helped for a long time. But as I said, other things started to trigger me. So I worked as a psychotherapist for many years. And when I was studying psychotherapy, you know, a lot of memories came back. So Anna, my oldest one, turned 13. I was studying psychotherapy and I was also doing lots and lots of personal development. And at first, when the memories came back, I just thought that I was going mad. I had worked at Women's Aid for years, rape crisis, and I just thought, you know, I've absorbed everyone else's memories. These pictures aren't mine. Now, as a therapist, I understand that our mind shuts things down and it comes back when our mind believes we're ready to face it, even if I didn't agree with my mind. But I was fighting these memories. Really, that last lot of therapy was about three years. And most of that time, I was in denial. If I could go back now in time and say, get out of the way of yourself, I would have saved <laughs> so many years and so much money. But that was my journey. My journey was fighting and refusing to believe what had happened to me until I got to a place which really took me by surprise. When the idea of forgiveness came to me, I never really wanted to forgive them. I hated them for years, but that filled me with revenge and hate and anger, which obviously affected me as a person, my kids, my husband. But my therapist one day said to me, you know, maybe they weren't born rapists, these two men. And at first I was just so angry with him. I couldn't yeah. believe that he could dare say that to me. But it planted a seed in my mind and it just got me thinking and I found myself wanting to understand how they could be so violent. You know, they weren't much older than me, maybe 17 or 18. And somehow I started to feel compassion in my heart towards them. I guess I call myself an accidental forgiver because I never really intended to do so at all. And slowly after time, I started to realize that my way of thinking. I mean, we're all born a blanks sheet. If you look at a little baby, you'd, you've, I've never met an evil baby. And I just believe we get corrupted or conditioned by life. And I wondered what had they seen to make them behave that way? Or what have they heard? Or what have they even experienced? And that's when I realized that I could make 
peace with my life by choosing to forgive them because it, it allowed me to let go of all the anger and hate and disappointment that I had held on to for years. And that was a very kind of a five minute shortened journey really of, of what I've been through. So years and years of different types of therapies, not just talking therapies, a lot of body work as well, because when I was caught in the denial, my therapist could see my struggle and he suggested going for some therapeutic work. And the very first thing I tried was therapeutic massage. And I could hear this person screaming and shouting and fighting and kicking with the therapist. And I just thought, who's making all that noise? But then I realized it was me. <laughs> it was coming wow. from me. So it showed me how the trauma gets trapped in ourselves, how it's in our body on a very kind of energetic cellular kind of lit way. And I, my job was to integrate my mind and my body. So I've used talking therapies and I've used lots of different kind of therapeutic approaches lots of body work as well and that helped me to line up I guess I always call it cleaning up so I've just been doing a big cleaning up job in my life and I, I really think now that it's it's really it's not important what happens to us in life it's what we do with it and if we choose to we can really get past anything because it wasn't really the details of the rape that was keeping me stuck it was my denial and my refusing to believe it as if somehow that was a reflection of me. Now I understand that was my shame speaking to me because I was so ashamed. I thought if people knew that they wouldn't want to know me, they would look at me differently and they would be as disgusted as I was with myself for years because it left me feeling dirty, contaminated, just that I was this worthless person. But now I understand it was shame. It was never my shame in the first place. The shame always belong to them and once I really understood that and once I really understood that they were born human as well and I could choose to forgive them if I wanted to it just made life so much easier. It's interesting a couple of key points I think I'd love to pick up from what you just sure. said is something that I always share when I'm doing gong events you know gong meditation with people and I say to them the gong is a great teacher and sometimes it might bring things up for you that you think you're not ready for but you need to trust yourself because we're really good at avoidance human beings you know we're very very adept at either pretending things haven't happened pretending things are one way when they're a completely different way in reality because that's how we cope so if something is brought up for you whether that's just an uncomfortable emotion you're not used to sitting with or whether it's a memory from the past trust your body trust your mind because it just wouldn't bring it up if you weren't ready for it and if today's the day that you're ready to process, totally agree. use your breath and go with it. And I think it's beautiful what you said of just having that realisation of, you know, okay, it might may have taken me all these years, but the reason this is now coming to the forefront is because I'm ready to process it. It means that my body and my mind is ready to start to align itself again and that I can actually, I think there's so much freedom in healing. And, you know, in my experience you know, there's so much freedom on the other side of all that therapy and all that pain, you know, when you, I think when you're trying to run away from something, like when you're in that avoidance, there's always this kind of weird thought process of, you know, what if people knew or if they knew what I was really like, you know, those kind of subconscious and insidious ways of trying to hide parts of ourselves that actually, when we integrate all those parts, we're like, this is me, regardless, and you feel so much 
lighter and so much freedom. And I, I really like as well what you were saying about forgiveness. I think, you know, this is a huge subject for many people. And I think for a lot of people hearing that, you know, you've been able to work through and forgive what many people would deem completely unforgivable acts will be very powerful I think for people but you know it was never it was never about them it was always for me forgiveness it had nothing to do with them I didn't need them to be in a meeting with me and tell me how sorry they were I could decide that internally in my heart really it was my key to freedom totally yeah and I think a lot of the time forgiveness is misunderstood you know I've done a lot of reading on forgiveness and you know, done a lot of forgiveness work in in my life as well. And and remember one key thing that I read and I was like, ah, and it's like hatred and anger and resentment and all, all these kind of more negative emotions that you hold because of somebody else generally. It's like getting poison and drinking it and then watching them hoping they're going to die <laughs> for when you're the one drinking the poison. And I was like, or oh, he who does not forgive digs two graves. Oh, so it really impacts on us too. Mm. And I always think of the word forgiving, like forgiving. So forgiving me a better chance. Mm. Oh, let's pause on that for a minute. I like that. Yeah, it's because it's, yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? And I think Louise Hay was the first one that I started learning this kind of thing from. And, it, and she did this sleep meditation that I used to do a lot when I had depression and, you know, was still suffering panic attacks and different things. I was listening to a lot of sleep meditations. I found it really hard to meditate in the day, but it would help me to go to sleep. One of the ones that she did was talking about your parents and how, you know, a lot of people hold either conscious or unconscious anger or resentment towards their parents for not being the parent they wanted them to be, regardless of whether there's been what people would deem actual abuse or if it's just kind of these more minor traumas that we all experience because, you know, you're a kid and you don't know anything and your parents are just trying to do their best and, you know, they want to keep you alive and often you do things that are, you know, probably counter counterproductive to that. And in that, she talks about, you know, visualise your mum or visualise your dad as a child and think about what their childhood might have been like and think about what they might have been afraid of and what you know, when, when you were born, what, what were they afraid of and what were their hopes and dreams for you as a child as well and what are their... And then you start thinking about it and you're like, oh, yeah, you kind of forget sometimes, I think, yeah. that... And that's exactly my My journey of forgiveness started with inquiry, started with understanding, wanting to understand how these two young men could behave like that towards another human being. To me, forgiveness is understanding. If we could all understand and have more compassion, I think it would be a very different place. Mm, I agree. And how long, I mean, you know, imagine that process wasn't just like an, or was it an overnight, like, oh, no, yeah, it was, I can... No, no, the seed was planted and it took me a while and then I started to investigate forgiveness and I came across this organisation called the Forgiveness Project in London and I ended up, ironically or paradoxically, being the first place where I shared my story they asked to put up my story on their website. They collect stories of forgiveness from all different types of stories. Amazing. And they are an amazing organization because they just want to show people that there's an alternative to hate and they offer hope really, you know, and like them, I also believe in the power of sharing our stories. They call us story healers rather than storytellers. And I believe if a story is shared at the right time for a person that has the power to transform, and that's really why I share my story. 
I completely agree. I think, you know, one of the things that I love about having this podcast and, and you know, the people that I get, I'm very grateful and lucky to share all my stories with in my audience is, is around, you know, partly accountability. They, you know, having this platform helps to keep me accountable to my own mental health and, and make sure that, you know, am I practicing what I preach? Cause I don't want to go out there and, and say all this stuff and I'm not doing Absolutely. it. You know, Cause it feels really hypocritical. So there's that level of it, but also the stories that you get back, you know, from, from other people, I've never told anyone this before, but, and they share their story with you either in confidence or sometimes, you know, on the public forum or they'll say, you know, Oh my God, when you said this, it made me realize that within my trauma or within my experience or within what happened to me, I can also forgive or I can also re-empower myself. You know, I talk Absolutely. a lot about labels and how you're not your label. And I think there's a lot of stuff in the public sphere around rape that's really damaging, you know, around the the cultural narrative that we have, you know, in many countries, not just the UK, but how, well, what were you wearing and were you drunk? And, you know, it's like, well, hang on a second, we're it's not asking that. And it's yeah. culture. Absolutely. And it's a global problem. And I think having people share their stories and be able to say, well, actually, no, I am a, I'm a human being. This is who I am. And this happened to me. And I understand that because I lived with so much guilt for years. I thought I was 13. I went out when I wasn't meant to be out and I met boys. I bought alcohol. And for years, I thought you know, I just brought it on myself. But what I know now, without a doubt, is that 100% of all rapes are caused by rapists. It's nothing else because we know babies are raped. We know women in burkas are raped. It's nothing to do with their clothes or what they were doing. Babies, teenagers, old people, men, women, children, it always comes down to the rapist, nothing mm. else. Mm. And when you were talking about people revealing their stories, I just want to share one of the stories that really, she motivates me every day to speak out. I've been very lucky. I've been interviewed by amazing people. And I was interviewed by Sir Trevor MacDonald for Radio 4. To cut a long story short, my friend got in contact and let me know her mum, her 81-year-old mum had been listening. And basically at the end of hearing me on the radio, she told her her own story of being raped as a teenager and she'd never told anyone. And she ended 64 years of her silence. So every time I speak, I just wow. think of her because I, you never know where the stories ripple out to or who it impacts or, or where it goes. And, and it was somebody else's courage that helped me find my voice. And I just really, I'm just paying it forward now. I'm just speaking out for those that really can't find their voice. I was going to ask that actually of like, what point, because I think for a lot of people that have experienced very, you know, extreme trauma, it's very difficult to even A, acknowledge what's happened to themselves, let alone to other people and B, to find that voice. And there may be people listening today that are thinking, you know, actually, maybe I would want to share. And I think especially for shame, you know, in my experience and all the stuff that I've read, shame hates you talking about Absolutely. the thing because it's the silence that gives it the power and I'm not saying just go out in the street and shout out what no, happened uh, to you I'm not you saying need to be, on the stage yeah, no, you need absolutely. to be in a safe space especially the first time that you share it you need to be with somebody that you trust and in a safe space totally. but what was that process like for you of being able to find your voice and to finally say that out loud so liberating you know 
You're completely right about shame because shame silenced me for years and it only hurts victims and protects the perpetrators. But like you, I'm not suggesting to stand on the stage and go share your story like I did. And for me, it was been a gradual thing to come into the public limelight. So I've been asked to do interviews and I've been in newspapers where there have been the woman that silhouetted her face out. It just said Madeleine 40 London. And, and that was all I was prepared to do. But over time, I realized I'm not my body. I'm not the things that were done to me. I'm so much more than the sum of one night that, oh, I can just hear my phone ring and hopefully it's okay. <laughs> All these right. home Zoom meetings, <laughs> somebody will get it. I realized that I, I'm paradoxically, you know, these things shape us and yet we're not the things that happen to us as well. And it has been the only way that I can get past my shame was to step into my shame, which means by talking about it and not really caring what other people think. But again, it's been a process. And, and just like you said, you don't expect everyone to stand on the stage and scream their story out. But I think to be heard, to be listened to, and to be believed, there's nothing, nothing more powerful than that. So if you can, don't hold yourself back. I think when we don't speak our truth, our innermost secrets, our what we consider shameful secrets, we do hold ourselves back. Because I know I felt like I was in the deep frost for years and I've slowly over the years just defrosted myself. That's how I kind of like to look at it. I've press the button on my deep freezer, but find someone that you can share, some that you can share with, someone that you can trust. And if you can't find someone, write your story down, tell yourself your story, because as you said, we undermine it, we deny it, we minimize it, we pretend it wasn't that bad. And it's not about what happens to us, it's what we do with it, that's what matters. And if you are still ashamed of it, you have to know that shame isn't yours. The shame is always held on to inappropriately I held on to my shame inappropriately for years and by giving it air by giving it oxygen speaking about it writing it down I don't really give a shit who knows anymore mm, there's because I'm so not much what power. happened to me yeah there's so much power in that and I think I love what you say about you know I'm not what happened to me I'm not the sum of one night I'm not my experiences and I think a lot of that you know echoes through my healing with the depression and various things of you know I'm not these thoughts. I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. I'm so much more than that. And there's layers of consciousness. And actually, there's often a lot more choice than we realize within within healing. You know, can you I always talk about that? Can you choose to be depressed or not? You know? Yeah. You know, I, I did a lot, a lot of different therapies and the very alternative therapies. One of the last ones I did, I took a plant medicine called San Pedro, which is a little bit like ayahuasca. And every time I took it, I would just go straight back into trauma, curled up in the fetal position, crying my eyes out, trauma, trauma. And everyone, most of the people I saw were climbing the trees and they were swimming in the lakes and they were having a great time enjoying <laughs> life. And the very last time I took it, I said, right, just show me, show me all the pictures. I want to see it. I want to be able to sit steady with it and see if I can just hold myself steady, like becoming a better sailor, I guess, you know, pulling in my sails and just holding on to them, refusing to be capsized again by it and I did and then I saw I had a choice I could be seduced by my trauma and fall back into those patterns and habits that I'd had for years or I could really learn just to watch the show and then I when I did that I realized I could choose for it not to impact on my life but I'm not saying that lightly this comes on a foundation of years and years and years of therapy I'm not just saying one day you can choose for it not to impact on you because 
it is a biological response you know the way that i felt it came from a deep physiological place as well as well as psychological so you have to work it you have to get support but once i had cleaned it up so much i saw i really had a choice i could choose to just let it all go accept it and let it go and and that's what forgiveness did for me i had to find a place where i could accept it because i realized they didn't kill me you know they very nearly did there's three serious attempts but i survived i am alive and i'm you know my best revenge was been having my girls and living my life as best as i can and that's what i'm gonna do i refuse to be identified by what has happened to me yeah i think it's so powerful if there's people listening and they're thinking okay you know i'm debating either sharing this for the first time or i'm debating starting a forgiveness process what kind of advice would you would you give to people to to start that journey if they're not because i think sometimes you know when we're stuck in the trauma it's often hard to even know okay i know i need to take a step forward but it's like just like a cliff edge i don't know if i if i step forward am i just going to fall off the edge or like what's going to happen so well like you it sounds like i believe if we tune into our body then we really know the answers to really you know, I wrote my book, but it's not a self-help guide. This is the way that I did it. There's many, many ways to the same destination of, of healing. You know, some of the things I did, some people might go, well, that's a bit odd. But And I might think the same of other people. But really, if you can, just tune into your gut. Your gut knows whether it wants you to dance it out, sing it out, write it, speak it. There's so many ways. I use sport as well because... On the night that it happened, I was kicked out of my body. So I really left my body. I floated out of my body and I watched from sitting on the wardrobe down below. And so I never felt back in my body for years. I just felt like an empty space, blank, uh, just an empty vessel, like I was a house but had no furniture. And so my journey has always been about getting my memories back and getting back into my body. So at 40, I went to karate, I'm a weightlifter, I do windsurfing, I do yoga, I walk. So, you know, just to really pay attention to where you need to nurture yourself in your own mind or your own body, catch your thoughts, look at your habits, look at your patterns, see where the unhealthy habits and patterns are. Can you catch them? And it's really, really good to go for therapy. I know I'm not just saying it because I'm a psychotherapist, but to get feedback into what you're doing because often we aren't aware of our habits often we don't see them because we've become so good at them I was so good at running myself down telling myself I was worthless and you know I was never going to do anything and I was stupid for putting myself into that situation I had to be shown that I was telling myself this narrative over and over again but really by listening into my body working with my breath paying attention to what I was doing becoming a better witness really really helped i think if anyone as well is thinking about therapy because i'm a huge passionate advocate of therapy as well and there are so many different styles and different types there's actually a blog post on my blog called how to find the right therapist and in that i kind of discuss different styles of therapy what might work for you what might so if you're kind of looking for that i'll put a link in the show notes as well because that might be useful i know it can be a bit of a minefield as well wrote the blog post so i think took me a long time to a find the right type and the right therapist you know it's a bit like dating I think sometimes you know you've got to like date a few therapists before you find the right one that that kind of works for you I mean is there any therapies that you used I know in my experience especially in terms of body work like breath work and TRE trauma release exercises I think it's called were both really powerful tools that I'd use I don't know if there's 
ones yeah, that I you've... worked with a guy who calls himself the breath guru, Alan Dolan, and he does oh, transformational yeah. breath work. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He yeah. used to he used to come to Glasgow like once a month, but now he's famous and far too busy. But I went for breath work with him, and when it first had the first session. It was like 10 sessions of psychotherapy in one go. And we didn't really have a dialogue. He just really guided me on my breath. But it took me to places like with the therapeutic massage that were just deep trapped trauma places in my body. And when I first used to go, my hands would just numb up and get locked, completely locked. And I used to be panicked so much. And he said, it's okay, it's okay. It's just fear. It's just panic locked in your... I mean, they were in spasms. They were so tight and I couldn't not focus on my hands, but he guided me to just focus on the breath and that would ease up. And over time, these fear patterns, the trauma patterns or the panic really eased up and it got much easier to be in my body. But one of the chapters I do call it is called giving it oxygen. So giving it oxygen with it's by writing it, by speaking it, by using breath work really helped. I mean, I've done so many things. I went to about 50 sweat lodges because I was terrified of the dark. Walks on fire. I've had therapeutic massage, a cranial sacral therapies, hypnosis, so many different things, but really all with the same idea in mind to get back into my body to learn to be okay with what had happened to clean it all up so that I can live my life because it was holding me back a huge part of me was just suspended I love what you say about cleaning up as well that's another thing that Louise Hay when I first started I used to read so many of her books and listen to so many of her audios and she always would say it's like cleaning a house it doesn't matter what room you start in just keep going and eventually the whole house will be clean yeah because it's like it's like opening the windows and letting the air in. You know, there was one room in your house that you just chuck all the rubbish and that was like in the back of my mind where I just stood And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to open that door, but one door opens just leads to another door as well, you know. Completely. Yeah, it just held me back before I really had faced it all. Do you find as well, like through your journey, that when you start to heal in yourself everything in your life changes like the way that you behave the way you allow other people to treat you your relationships like how have you found like as you've started to process this you know trauma and and almost come out the other side into this more freedom how how's that impacted on other areas of your life where maybe you, you didn't expect that it would Well, I think I'm a lot more patient with other people. You know, I used to get maybe annoyed with people couldn't understand why they're coming at from that angle. But when I brought in the understanding, I thought, okay, so that's where they're stuck. That's where their issues are. It's not about me because I was always so paranoid that I'd upset them I'd done something wrong or if there was anything that looked like an argument that could end in a confrontation or it could get violent, that was always my fears. But I realised, you know, just because somebody's having a hard time, it's not about you. <laughs> it's, about them. it's about where they're at in that moment in their life. So patience. And actually, it sounds very odd, but these two young men have taught me to be grateful, you know, because they did very nearly kill me, but I'm so, so grateful for my life. And they showed me that how precious life is. And I had a few strange goings on. Not, I don't call them strange anymore. I used to call them strange. So... There was one point during the night and the memories didn't come back to me later and I didn't remember them from the night, but I was 
protected by a being, I don't know what you want to call it. I saw many years later when all my memories came back to me, my memories would come back in the dream state. So I would dream lots of my memories or nightmares and they would wake me up. And I started to see that there was a young monk by my side, a Tibetan monk. There was one point during the night where they were trying to set fire to me. They were going to light my hair and the young monk is by my side and he just leans across and just blows out the lighter three times in a row. And he appears to have stopped them from doing this because they get so frustrated and they just chuck it down, the lighter. And it confused me for years. I, I didn't understand who this monk was, what it was about. How could that even happen? To be honest, I still don't really understand it all. It was at the time when I was caught in all the denial of my memories that this image then started to come to me. And just like the memories of that night, the more I denied them, the harder and faster they came back in. And the more I denied his presence, then he would show himself to me. I would feel the swish of his fabric or he'd be stroking my hair. Or when I woke up from a nightmare, he'd be standing next to me. So I had to find a way to accept the memories that he was also part of that night as well. And when I did that, it calmed my mind. So I'm grateful for this event. I would never, ever wish it on anyone, but it's just shown me, you know, there's so much more to life than we know that I think we do all have our protectors around us, but somehow because I was very nearly killed, I just saw mine that night for that grateful because it opened up so many <laughs> levels or layers within my consciousness that I would never, ever have even given any thought to beforehand. Yeah, I love that. And I, th I mean, I'm a great believer in, I don't think that, I think there's many layers to this universe that we're not privy to because we don't have the right instruments or the right ability to, to view. You know, if you think of just in terms of science and the light spectrum, for example, like what we can physically perceive through our eyes is such a teeny, teeny amount of such a big spectrum. And the same with, with sound, you know, I always think that, that our hearing, you know, we know that we can't hear dog whistles and various other sounds that we know exist. We know we can't see infrared light. So why it's not that much more of a stretch to imagine that maybe there's things outside of our current perception that, that could exist and we're just not aware of them. And I think sometimes through, you know, whether that's through trauma or through meditation or through, you know, something that literally either forces you or you practice until you can change your your window of perception. And then suddenly it's like, oh, he's he's right there. But he might always always be there. And you, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's really powerful. So, I mean, what things do you wish you'd known about, you know, trauma and rape and your your journey before you got to this point? I wish that I had heard somebody like me speaking in a school to, to realise that one day you could actually be okay. I wish I'd realised that the shame never belonged to me. I wish I'd spoken about it earlier. <laughs> I wish I'd gone for help earlier. I wish I didn't blame myself. But yeah, it's hard to go back and wish because that's not how it was. You know, I did do all those things it would have made life a lot easier, but then it wouldn't have been the journey that I've been on too. So wishing is also a little bit like regret to me as well. I can't regret the things that I did because I did the things that I had to do at the time that I did them as well. So I have to just accept this was my journey and this is how I did it. Yes, I could have saved years if I'd have known all of this all that time ago, but I didn't know it then. I just did the best job that I could do with the tools that I had. I think that's such a powerful statement. You know, I come back to that as well a lot. You think, well, 
could I have done things differently? Yeah, I probably could. Could I have, you know. But you couldn't because you did it the way you did it. And you didn't know it. And I think sometimes you're not ready for that level of information or you're not, you know, when you actually look back with hindsight, you know, you can go, oh, yeah, well, that was the step towards that, which then was a step towards that, which was then, you know, and I think especially with trauma, you know, you could just dive straight into all this stuff, but the likelihood is you might re-traumatise yourself and that's Absolutely. not helpful at all. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's important that I think, you know, one of the things that I always try to work with with myself, my own healing and my clients and people that I work with is how can I love you more? So, you know, if 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 I'm going through something that's really difficult or I'm struggling to work through it, like when I was doing, you know, similar to you, I think I've done various different styles of therapy for various different periods of time. And and sometimes when you're going through that and it feels really hard and you start to get into that negative mindset of, you know, blaming yourself or sitting in shame or wanting to harm yourself in some way, whether that's through, you know, kind of, for me, it was mainly sort of like alcohol and food and stuff like that, you know, just like having little digs at yourself or whatever, I'd stop and just be like, how can I love you more? Or how can I be more loving in the situation? You know, or how can I be more kind in the situation? And suddenly it opens up this whole other window of possibility. Like, oh yeah, this is, I'm not being very kind <laughs> to myself right now. Or if I was a scared, you know, another thing I was thinking is if I was a scared little child in this moment, what would I do? You know, because I think a lot of the time when we're in fear or shame or some kind of, you know, unpleasant emotion that doesn't feel very helpful in the moment we can start to then get the stick out and we start to beat ourselves I shouldn't be feeling like this I need to cheer up what the hell's wrong with me why can't I and actually shoulda coulda woulda planet yeah (laughs) and if we could just be a bit more like hang on a second let me just think that if I was a scared child what would I do oh I'd I'd pick the child up I'd give them a, a cuddle I'd make them a probably something nice to eat or drink or maybe wrap them in a blanket or get them hot water so that treat yourself in that same Yeah, I think it's the judgment that did more damage than actually almost what was done to me. My judging what I'd been through, my judging that it was my fault, my altered self-beliefs. If I could have got to a place where I just accepted it, you know, this has happened and I'm okay. It was nothing to do with me. But again, I didn't. (laughs) So I, I don't like to go back because it is, you know, when when I used to work with clients, when I saw them saying, I wish this had happened, I wish that had happened, I could have done this. And that's them really not coming to a place of acceptance. That's when they're really struggling with it in their mind. When I wished that it was different because it wasn't different. And I think to stay with the facts, however hard they are, is actually what's going to help you to step into the trauma when the time is right. That was really ultimately what helped me. Because it's like, going to a cinema and it's playing the same film over and over and over again. It's like a multi-screen plaza in my head. It just replayed the movie all the time. But after a while I could watch the movie and it didn't impact on me in the same way. And it took the sting out of the trauma, all the energy that was associated with watching that movie in my head, slowly over time, just disintegrated. It just got less and less and less so that I'm now able to speak about it. I can write about it. You know, I was interviewed this morning on the radio. It doesn't impact on my life in any way at all now, only in a positive. (laughs) Yeah, it's so powerful. I think it's such a powerful place to come to. And I think, well, I for one definitely am very grateful that you have come to that realisation so you can share this incredible story and the tools and, you know, your experience so that hopefully it's helping a lot of other survivors and a lot of other people to 
to see that. And, I, you know, this is similar to what you were saying earlier, you know, why I do what I do, because I think, well, that's how I got well. I looked and I watched these other people and I thought, well, Absolutely. if she's had like dilapidating depression and anxiety and got over it, I can do it. Or if if that guy was paralyzed for God's sake and he's walking, right, <laughs> you know, at least I've got the power of my body. Like, okay, how am I going to step forward? And I think, you know, just for other people who have unfortunately maybe had these experiences to be able to see someone like yourself and go, wow, you know, she's happy and she's living and she's enjoying her life and she's very successful is just really powerful. There's so, always hope, always hope. Is there anything else you want to share? Anything I, 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 should ask I would you just or? say that it, it's never too late for you to find your voice. Anyone that's listening, it's never too late to get support. It's never too late to get help. Even though it's locked down, all these services are still key services. The helplines are still open, you know, because I think when we are in lockdown and we're isolated, a lot of the time, if we're not ready to face what's happened, we distract ourselves. And right now it's hard to distract ourselves. So you may find that any unprocessed trauma is actually coming up more for you, that you're getting triggered more and more. Your anxiety levels are higher. You might be struggling with your well-being, your mental health. Deep down, we always know what the issues are. <laughs> you know, we always know what's underneath it. We just don't want to admit it. But just reach out. Don't be isolated. Get support. Stay connected. Brilliant. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much. If people want to find out more, like where can they get your book, Unbroken? Where can they find out more about, about you and your work? I have a website, madeleineblack.co.uk or Unbroken. As of yesterday, it's also now an audio book, even though it was published three years ago. Amazon, Waterstones, Smiths Online, and I have a TEDx as well, which I did in June. You can just Google TEDx Glasgow, Madeleine Black, and you can find that too. Amazing. And I will put links at the bottom as always. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and just sharing your story. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And thank you everyone for listening. As always, I'll put all the links below and I will see you again soon. Much love. If you enjoyed listening, why not leave us a review? It really does help other people to find this podcast and enjoy it too. Feel free to share it with friends and family members that you think it might be useful to. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.